Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton, and today I'm going to be sharing with you a really uplifting and inspiring story about a cancer journey and how community support came to support the person going through it. And I wanted to have this conversation because so many of us are going to be impacted by cancer. I myself was have been impacted by it, not personally, but my mother passed from breast cancer at the age of 56, which last year when I was 56 was a huge reckoning for me about that. But cancer is going to touch all of our lives one way or the other in either, you know, personal diagnosis or supporting a friend or a loved one through it. And this story is so particularly inspiring because of the community support around it. So I'm going to welcome my guests. So first of all, Karen Ward, who is an entrepreneur, a writer, and a community builder. Sarah Smeaton, who is a brilliant midlife coach. And Marsha Shandor, who is a speaker, an author, and an ethical persuasion trainer. I'm going to ask you more about that later because... Uh, <laughs> That's really curious to me, but welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. So, Karen, I want to start with you, and because this is your personal cancer story, and you know, tell us a little bit about your story. And I mean, there's some great news to share, but tell us a little bit mm -hmm. about your story, and particularly how that impacts how you now see your life, mm. like this next chapter of your life. Yes. So I think the short answer to the last question is that it's evolving because this is very fresh for me. My diagnosis, mm. I received my diagnosis at the end of March of this year, and I just received the news that I'm cancer free. So it's it's been very quick as cancer experiences go, which I'm incredibly grateful for. Mm. Um, and maybe Jennifer, it's, if it's okay, I'll talk a little bit about how I came to learn about yes, the diagnosis, because I think it's really important that uh, from a women's health perspective, we talk more about what's going on in our bodies that lead to these diagnoses so that we can be paying attention, but uh, we can benefit from that experience and, and pay attention to what's going on in our, our own bodies. So I've been going through, I'm 51, I've been going through perimenopause for, I would say at least six or seven years. And right around the time the pandemic started, I my periods went kind of crazy, like really mm -hmm. heavy very close together or months apart. And I had a lot of bleeding in between sort of periods and also some what felt like gastro discomfort, like a lot of bloating, which was unusual. So I went to see my my GP, my general practitioner, actually the nurse practitioner in that practice and said, something feels weird. I know, you know, menstruation cycles get pretty wacky during perimenopause, but this seems unusual. So we, we did some imaging. She ordered uh, ultrasound, like pelvic ultrasound, transvaginal ultrasound. And what we saw was a lot of fibroids, which was part of what was creating the discomfort before, during, and after every cycle. 
but also a polyp. They could see a thickening mm. in the wall of my, endomet my endometrial wall. And she said, that polyp uh, is probably nothing to worry about, but something we should take a closer look at. So I was referred to an, an OBGYN, a gynecologist. And because it was, you know, in the pandemic, very long waiting list as, you know, specialists got caught up on things. And so it took me almost a year to get in to see that gynecologist. She took a look at the imagery, said, let's do new scans, came back and said, yeah, everything's growing a bit. Fibroids are a bit bigger. That polyp's a bit bigger. I don't think the polyp's anything to worry about. It's like 5 to 10% of the time. It has something to be concerned about, but mm -hmm. let's go in and actually get it. So I was booked for a polypectomy where they go in and like, you know, grab the polyp and they did a DNC as well to grab as many of the fibroids as they could because that she thought that's going to create more comfort, less, you know, heavy bleeding and breakthrough right. bleeding between cycles. And I had a bit of tissue release. So I went into that polypectomy. And by the way, that procedure took almost a year to happen as well. So from the time wow. that I went to national, my nurse practitioner to getting results of that polypectomy was almost two years. And wow. that's me being pretty proactive and a pretty strong advocate wow. for my care. But and no doubt that, that COVID played a factor in that for sure. For but sure. I just want to say like, and it was still early stage for me, which is jumping ahead to the good news, but it, you know, pay attention to things that feel unusual in your body. So anyway, I had the polypectomy and- Can I just interject yeah, for, before we move course. off this? Because when yeah. you were just describing the symptoms, mm -hmm. I'm like, sound pretty much like every woman's perimenopausal journey, right? Yes. Bloated. yes. So what was it for you that was like, mm, this is more than that? Like there was something, how did you know? Because yeah. I think most of us would have just been, okay, this is perimenopause. This is like, how did yeah. you know to take those further steps? Yeah. And it's true. It's not only that we think that because what we read or because there's, of course, a lot more robust conversation in the social media landscape and the mainstream media about perimenopause and menopause, which is incredibly good. That's very, very good news. Right. But I think women are often told when they come in with something that feels unusual it's perimenopause. It's very easy to be dismissed. Right. And so, you know, that is why you, you know, getting a really good primary care uh, physician or nurse practitioner is so important. Like somebody who listens, takes you seriously, all of those things. And I think Jennifer, honestly, the answer is I just had a sense, like mm -hmm. I, I had a sense that something was off. And the big thing for me was like periods got really intense. Like I've always had pretty crampy, uncomfortable periods, but they got a lot worse, much heavier, which again is not unusual right. in perimenopause. But I had what I would describe as tissue release and bleeding between periods. Mm -hmm. And that isn't very common for menopause. It isn't unusual if you have fibroids or polyps. Right. But polyps can sometimes, as I learned, be cancerous, right? So the, right. the risk is very low, but they can be cancerous. So it's really important to get them investigated. So yeah. I had the polypectomy and then I, I honestly didn't even think about it. I'm like, 5%, I'll take those odds. No big deal. Sure. And then about three and a half weeks later, the gynecologist that did the procedure called back and said, this is really, really surprising news. And I'm so sorry, but you have endometrial cancer. And it was like, wait, what? Like, it just didn't even occur to me that that I would hear those words that I would hear those, that. Yeah, news. So yeah. that was days before my birthday this year, my 51st birthday. 
And about a year after I started HRT for some, some other uh, symptoms, which helped a lot, but because I learned, you know, I've since learned that endometrial cancer is hormone responsive. So mm. not that I have any concern that anything happened as a result of that HRT, it, it did not. And what I now know, having come through the surgery and, you know, the pathology reports come back, it was so early stage. I had superficial stage 1A grade 1 endometrial cancer, which right. is the best news and outcome you can possibly have. So it's amazing. Surgical cure, I'll be followed for five years. But yeah, as far as I'm concerned, and the team that I had supporting me is concerned, uh, cancer's done. Endometrial cancer's done. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to double click on the, I just knew something was wrong part because so many of us will hand over our bodies to, you know, you know, a primary care physician who will talk us into when, and not trusting ourselves, like not trusting our own instincts. And I love that you did and that you, you know, were very proactive in getting, you know, the tests that you need and, you know, pushing forward because again, like what you described sounded just like my perimenopausal journey. (laughs) Right. right. And, uh, you know, like it would be so easy for me to be talked off the ledge, but knowing like that deep intuition and that knowing people, anybody listening, if you have a Mm. tiniest inkling that something is not right in your body, please, please, please honor it. Because I hear this story so often. And I mean, you know, the fact that we don't trust ourselves and trust our instincts is a whole other conversation Mm -hmm. that we could probably have a really good conversation about. But it's just so common for us as women. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And the system, you know, and there's many layers to the system reinforces that, right? Like it reinforces, it dismisses it too quickly, too easily. You know, I know we're in different healthcare systems. The three of us are in Canada, you're in the US. No, I'm in Canada uh, too. (laughs) Oh, you are in Canada. Okay. So we're all in Canada. And I'm certainly incredibly grateful for the coverage that we have in Canada, but it's not a perfect system and it's strained to the max. I think that was true before COVID and it has been amplified because of COVID. So you really, really have to advocate. And I know it's not easy. Like it's easy for me to say, find yourself a great nurse practitioner or general physician, GP. It's not easy. I know there's so many people without a dedicated family doc and that's really hard. And I think it's also an opportunity. And I certainly made, you know, reached out to these other resources like a naturopath that specialized in oncology, a pelvic floor physiotherapist. My brother is a physician and a surgeon, and he was incredibly helpful immediately following Mm -hmm. the diagnosis just to make sense of what I had been told and what it meant. So I think it's not, you know, community played a really important role in this experience for me, not only through the cancer shower, which I know we're going to talk about, but even at the beginning, like me just looking out to my community saying, who can help me make sense of this? Who can help support the physical care that I need? Because I mean, the surgical team and the cancer clinic where I got my care was excellent, but they're stretched, like their waiting room is bursting. And you know what I mean? So having that some of that ancillary care around you, I think is, if if you can make that available to yourself is really important. Yeah. I just wanted to add to what Jennifer said, I've worked now with three different women on stories of something around like, you know, uterus care, there's one woman Mm. who experienced menopause when she was 28. There's another woman who had endometriitis that was this, you know, she ended up managing to work with the top surgeon in Canada on it, who said he'd never seen a case this bad. And another woman in the US who had had issues with fibroids and all three of them had to fight so hard. And I think, Mm -hmm. yes, everyone's stretched, but also I think the majority of 
money and research has gone into Viagra and erectile dysfunction and the man things. And I think that so much, and even, you know, we were discussing this recently, the three of us at, at lunch, that I had an experience with my doctor where I was talking about perimenopause and I felt very dismissed. And I was like, wait, I don't think that's right. And everybody else was like, that isn't right. And I know from working with these women that often really well-meaning doctors just don't have the information because they're just not taught it. And so I think that's yeah. why it's even more important to follow up those instincts and look at what else is out there beyond just the conversation with your GP. Yeah. For sure. And and hearing other people's stories. So Karen, like you sharing your story um, is so, so important because somebody is going to walk away going, oh yeah, I have this little thing. It doesn't feel right. And then they're going to go and ask another question or contact another person. And we all need to be doing that. We need to be advocating for our health yeah. because we, you know, in a stretch system, we cannot rely on somebody else to find the things. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, and then, and the noisy, the squeaky wheels do get the, the grease. Like that's, that yeah. is a truth. And, you know, we, I certainly, I have a lot of, pri- come from a lot of privilege, not financially, but I have a lot of privilege as a white woman who's educated and Mm -hmm. speaks English as a first language in a system where that, you know, where primary care is delivered that way. But I, you know, what I've been thinking a lot about coming out of the experience personally with cancer and the cancer shower experience is like, how, is there any way through some kind of cancer shower ongoing experience that I could create and with the support of my incredible community that would build more equity into the experience? Like I can't change the healthcare Mm -hmm. system. But we might be able to support people going through that challenging system in ways that would be provide some relief and, and yeah. in a variety of ways. So, yeah. Yeah. And not even like within, I mean, definitely within the cancer journey, but even in the menopause experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, for black women, for Latino women, you know, for women who can't, you know, don't, the English isn't their first language, like having that conversation and getting the care that they need you know, yes. and again, in a stretch system must be incredibly, incredibly difficult, Yeah, you know? Absolutely. And yeah. what I know, because of course, as a researcher, you know, curious by nature and a researcher by training and profession, I went deep into research around endometrial cancer. And one of the things that I learned is that, you know, white women are by higher percentage that they will be diagnosed with endometrial cancer, but women of color and black women in particular are more likely yeah. to die from it. Mm-hmm. And that is systemic problems from top to bottom. To bottom. So, you know, that, again, I don't know that I can impact that, but we can surround women of all shapes, sizes, colors, and creeds to move through the experience in a way that feels more supported. And that's yeah. already what we're thinking about how cancer shower might take shape in an ongoing yeah. way that could do that. Yeah. Well, and I think even just like sharing your story actually does help change that, right? Because when one woman feels empowered to trust her intuition and to advocate mm-hmm. for herself, it's giving permission for all of us to be able I to do so. the same, right? Yeah. So I think it's important. Let's talk, I'm going to come back to the second half of my question, because I want to get into the superpower cancer shower. And Anna, go to you on this, Sarah, or Marsha, whichever, whichever one of you wants to answer first. So tell me about what a superpower cancer shower is. And like, where did it come from? What was the intention behind it? Marsha, do you want to start with how this was born? And then I'll jump back. Yeah. So Karen told me her diagnosis and immediately I'd said, I know you're not supposed to ask, is there anything I can do? You know, it's sort of the, the, the worst question in a way. I remember when my dad died, I was quite young. I was a teenager and people would say, is there anything I could do? You know, if there's anything I can do, what can I do? And I would want to be like, 
bring him back to life? No, not really then. You know, there isn't much you can do. But I also was like, I know that, you know, I, I, I kind of didn't know what to do and I don't live close enough to Karen to offer to bring her meal trains. So I said, you know, I know I'm not supposed to ask this question, but will you tell me? And she said, oh, I'm pretty good at asking. From now, I just need a support pony. And so I found an emotional a support pony. Emotional support <laughs> pony. I, met, I found one online and sent it to her, a stuffed version. But then after that, I'd said, if you're going to do a GoFundMe, because she'd said, you know, one of the concerns is financial. And I was like, if you want to do a GoFundMe, I'll run it for you. And I say this as a person who's like very disorganized and very busy, but I can figure my way around most things. And I also know that when you're going through something like this, it's the admin that can crush you. And so... So I offered to do that and Karen said that would be helpful. And of course, being Karen, she was like, you know, I could do this thing where we run a special cancer curiosity camp and I could put on workshops and I could do this. And and me and several of her other friends said, or well, maybe you could just receive, given that you are a giver, you know, you've done so. She, Karen is a person who does so much for other people all of the time. And then she put me in touch with Sarah thank goodness, because it turned out even just running the simple GoFundMe was such a much bigger job than any of us had really anticipated. And I think that, I don't know, Karen, you can tell me if this is right, but I think there was something around giving Karen the space to not have to think about this that set her brilliant curiosity and creative brain whirring. And she came up with this idea of turning it into a cancer shower. And so, Karen, do you want to talk about the genesis of that idea? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and I want to invite Sarah into this too, because I did make the introduction. Sarah and Marcia knew of each other because we've sort of done things collaboratively in the past, but didn't know each other personally or individually well, which has totally changed. They're now BFFs and I'm like irrelevant in their whole relationship. But I, so yes, what I want to say too, because I think one of the things that people don't realize in Canada in particular, because I, I felt this when, you know, I was starting to talk a little bit about the potential of a GoFundMe, which felt very uncomfortable. You know, I had shame around why am I not prepared for cancer? Like who's prepared for cancer? First of all, it's bananas. But I was coming off almost seven months of long COVID recovery where I hadn't been working that much. And the savings I did have, because I was, you know, planned enough for some emergency funds, I had worked through because I had had, you know, almost seven months of long COVID recovery and expenses related to physio coming, you know, dealing with some vestibular and vision uh, related stuff related to, to long COVID. So I was feeling shame around asking anybody for support financially. But what's true if you are self-employed, as actually all of us are, Sarah, Marcia, and uh, I are all self-employed, is that even though we don't bear the crushing weight of medical expenses like you would if you were uninsured in the United States or elsewhere, I still have to keep paying living expenses like housing and right. food and travel to and from my medical appointments, parking, you know, the care like physio, you know, pelvic floor physio, naturopathic support, none of that is covered by Canadian healthcare. So there were a lot of out of pocket costs over and above my, you know, monthly living expenses. And so when you go from doing a little bit of work to zero work, that's super stressful. And also, right. I had no idea at the beginning, if this was going to be like a three month experience, or potentially like a nine to 12 month experience, because we didn't know if I was going to need radiation or chemo. And so that's very stressful. And what actually created the pivot from kind of a regular GoFundMe into this cancer shower idea was twofold. One, the superpower idea came from a friend of mine, Elise, who when I told her I had cancer, she in her very characteristic way said, dude, you're going to Hulk smash cancer. 
And it was such a her thing to say and so funny. And I had been thinking about who do I want to be in this cancer experience? Like, do I want to be pink ribbon cancer person? Do I want to be cancer warrior? Do I want to be cancer hedonist? Like, it's all going to hell, so let's just party. Like, who do I want to be in this experience? And I didn't know the answer, but when Elise said, you're going to Hulk smash cancer, there was something about that kind of superhero, She-Hulk energy that really appealed to me. And I fell down a rabbit hole one night hot flashing my face off and insomnia in, into artificial intelligence like generative AI and created this She-Hulk, steampunk She-Hulk image, a couple of images that I use throughout my cancer experience and still use as a like, what would Steampunk She-Hulk do? Because it was very empowering. And I imagine like the whole, when I was in the OR, it was a full female team. And I'm like, here are the, here's the She-Hulk cancer ass kicking army. You know, we're here together, all these incredible superheroes to do this miraculous thing. And so that's where the superhero came from, this this She-Hulk random middle of the night thing that emerged. And then I had read a piece on LinkedIn by a woman in the UK, and she was coming back from a mat leave and also self-employed. And she just wrote this beautiful article about how challenging it was to take the time off work as someone who was independent, an independent contractor, and how challenging it was to come back into the business, not in having to ramp up the business development and fill the pipeline again and not knowing when work yeah. was going to land. And I was like, yeah, it is hard. Like, it's hard for women coming back from mat leave. It's hard for me as someone starting a cancer treatment experience. And why aren't we talking about this? And I got all fired up and was on the phone with Marsha and Sarah. And I'm like, it's not right. And why do we think it's we don't even think about, you know, when we're getting married or we're having a child or we're having a new house, like we put our hand out and say, here's my registry link. And please, you know, presentation only at the wedding, bring cash, come to my housewarming. And here's another registry link, like all these major life sort of, you know, heteronormative life transitions. We celebrate and surround our friends and family with what they need, whether it's cash or stuff, right? And so I got all fired up around, it's great that we do that when we're celebrating and during the good times, but it's kind of messed up that we don't automatically, instinctively do the same for people we love when they're in crisis. And so any shame that I had around any of my friends, you know, hosting a GoFundMe for me, donating to a GoFundMe, kind of dissipated and I put on my steampunk She-Hulk superpower superpower cape and I'm like, we're gonna change the narrative about this. And we're changing the name and we're gonna throw a shower oh, and we're gonna call it the superpower cancer shower. Or I think I said, what do you guys think of this? And they're like, yes, yum yum yum, we love it. And then <laughs> I have this beautiful community of women entrepreneurs and I said, who wants to do a workshop for the superpower cancer shower? And so instead of ridiculous, painful games, which showers often, and I know this because I've organized a lot of them, we did workshops instead. And so I had very little to do with that. So I'm going to hand it back over to Sarah and Marsha to talk about their experience of like rallying the troops to get that yeah. going. And I would think they would agree that once that concept, that kind of we locked in on that concept, the GoFundMe took off and just people yeah. really engaged with it in a much, much different way after that. It's funny because Marsha and I, before this whole cancer shower idea, Marsha and I were talking and we were like, we could do workshops to incentivize people to donate. Uh-oh, is there an echo? 
And but one thing you have to know about Karen is she the girl likes a theme. She likes <laughs> to <laughs> wrap a theme around an experience. She likes it to all be really connected and she'll be able to take it from the first to the last of the experience, wrapping it back up in the theme. So that's really Mm -hmm. what happened with the cancer shower. It was a way to talk about what we were doing, which was supporting somebody and also creating really in, in the case of Karen's superpower cancer shower, we were, the workshops were all meant to help people develop qualities that you need when you're going through hard times, whether it's cancer Mm. or, you know, menopause or whatever it is. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it was all these different qualities. So it was, it was not transactional in that sense. It was an invitation to join us in this experience and to decide who you want to be. Like to really consider that. How do I want to show up for other people? How do I want to show up for myself? What is it to be part of this community? So uh, that's, I love this so much. So first of all, like a couple of years ago, I read Todd Herman's book. Oh, yeah. What it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, Alter Ego. Effect. Alter Ego. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah. creating that persona that's going to, you know, get you through. Like, I think that's brilliant. Mine is named yeah. Vanessa. <laughs> well, there's a whole story behind that. But anyway, but I love this idea of just embodying, you know, parts of the superhero to to support you as you're going through it. Community coming together in the way that you did around this is just so inspiring because I have heard so many people talk about their cancer journey or any kind of long illness as being very lonely, right? Mm. Like they're in it themselves. And, you know, the fact that you guys could create this kind of community, which is also, you know, around around the topics of courage and resilient that resilience that we all need, right? Mm. Like it's it's freaking genius. Like it's absolutely genius. So congrats it, it to you three for uh for bringing this together. So how did people interact with like the workshops and things like that? Did you get a lot of really good take up for it? Yeah. We did. We had tons of people signing up for the workshops and and they were all recorded. So even if you weren't able to join live, you were sent a recording. And I believe that's still true, right? That if someone signs up it now is. by donating to the cancer shower, that they would receive all of the workshops. So lots and lots of people signed up and I don't even know what percentage came, but we had good turnout, mm-hmm. right. really good turnout. And so your ticket to the shower was a donation to the GoFundMe, just to clarify that. Correct. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And we put in a we put in a suggested because I always feel like people like a suggested, but we also said, you know, whatever you can give is fine and, and if you can't give then promote the GoFundMe, you know, because we wanted to make sure that also it was equal as- access. And you just had to sign up for one, you know, sorry, just had to donate once and then you could sign up for any of the workshops that you wanted to. And so that yeah. was nice as well. I mean, it, one of the things that was really nice for us was in terms of promoting it. You know, there's so many GoFundMe's. I promoted so many GoFundMe's before. And it's like every, you know, GoFundMe runs the gamut from everything, from like this person needs a little bit of help to this person needs to start their entire life over again. And so it is hard. Whatever's happening, it's hard to promote a GoFundMe. So it just kind of just on like a marketing level was a lot easier to be like, hey, you get a thing if you do this thing, you know, that I I got a lot of people coming. I ran a workshop on storytelling. And honestly, just because I'm quite lazy, I've never run one before publicly. I just do them for organizations because <laughs> right. it's just a lot of work having to promote 
public things. And so there was a lot of people who came along who'd never heard of Karen, you know, who kind of liked the idea, but were like, oh, cool, I get to come to a martial <laughs> workshop. You know, I'm sure the same was true for Sarah and Jackie and everybody else who did the workshops. But also people really loved the idea. I mean, I still do. It's so subversive. I would describe it to people by saying, we're throwing her a cancer shower. It's like a baby or a wedding shower, but more diseasy. You know, <laughs> what's so interesting to me was when I told people about it, even before we launched, every walk of life, people who'd had cancer, my activist friends, my like deeply not activist friends, you know, my mother, like everyone I told about it wigged out about the idea, just thought it was such a brilliant idea. And we've seen that as well in terms of, you know, as we've been getting press for it, as we've been talking to people, people really connect with this idea because it is so subversive. And I think also the idea of like, hang on a second, why I give so freely for all these other things. As Karen said, you know, I give for weddings, I give for baby showers. One in three people are going to get cancer. Everybody has been touched by it in some way. And so why is this not a thing? Karen said, maybe you can speak to this, Karen, but when you were like, surely someone's done this before, you you had to look around. Nobody. (laughs) Yeah, I really did. And I think what I found was that there were like small groups of friends who had like a more traditional shower to support somebody who was going through cancer or maybe had received like a, a chronic diagnosis of some kind that needed support, but at a very sort of micro individual level, which is brilliant. I mean, that's the support Mm -hmm. is really powerful at that level as well. But I didn't, I read nowhere where there's like a cancer shower, kind of virtual cancer shower. I found no examples of that. And, you know, the work that I've done over the last 20 years, but 10 years in particular has been very global in nature and um, online a lot, like certainly through the pandemic, but even, you know, in the three to five years before that. And so, you know, when I started sharing the diagnosis, as Marcia said, like, you know, the immediate response is, I'm so sorry, you'll get through this and let me know if I can help. And I don't think anybody says that without inauthentically, like that they do genuinely want to help, but it's hard to know how, especially in a global network context, right? Like if you live down the street, you can bring soup or food or casseroles, or, you know, I'm a single woman with no children. So, you know, the, the gift in, of that in the situation is that I wasn't trying to manage care of my kids or mm-hmm. partner, you know what I mean? Whatever. So I really was on my own in the experience in that sense, which was a gift because I have several sisters who have kids and I'm like, if I need to take this for the team, like, I'm so glad it's not them. Like I really had that strong feeling at the beginning. But I have this the gift of this beautiful global community. And I'm telling you, when I started talking about the experience, which felt important, because I think we need to be more open about women's health. And then when we started talking about the shower, the superpower cancer shower, that whole community, as Marcia said, went bananas and was so excited to be part of it. And one of the things that I realized, and I just want to touch on this, when we were sharing the GoFundMe I think if it's not for you, it feels weird and sometimes uncomfortable, even if you just love the person so much to put it out there and say, like, this person's so deserving and could you support the GoFundMe? It's like every person's so deserving if they're having, if they're in a difficult situation. But when I, and I felt very uncomfortable. And initially when I talked about my diagnosis on LinkedIn, for example, I didn't say anything about the GoFundMe. I felt so shame and shy about doing so in that context. And then when I, when we, 
sort of locked into the superpower cancer shower idea. And Sarah's not wrong. I do love a good theme and I like <laughs> it to go deep, deep into the theme. Then I got very, I really got emboldened. And I said, like, I want to normalize asking for help when yes. it's hard, when you're in a hard yes. place, because maybe that's when we need it the most. Like, yeah. is it possible? Obviously it is. <laughs> and so I said in the post that announced the, the superpower cancer shower on LinkedIn, I said, I'll go first. I want to normalize it and I'll go first. I just received a cancer diagnosis. I'm self-employed. That's stressful because I'm not going to be earning. I don't know when I'll be earning again. I still have bills to pay. And that it's hard. It's really hard. So my amazing community is throwing me a superpower cancer shower inspired by steam, steampunk She-Hulk and, you know, fueled by the unbelievable talent of, you know, these entrepreneurial women in my life who are going to put on workshops that not only will help me because I'm going to attend too, but they are a gift in resilience and courage yeah. and capacity building. So come yeah. and let's all be lifted by this experience. Me definitely and deeply, but you too, let's come and be lifted together. Yeah, because as you guys are describing this, you know, it's kind of taking me back to this, you know, the concept of it takes a village, right? You know, like when you live in a small town like <clears> in the <throat> olden days, like everybody surrounded you and, you know, took care of the kids and made the meals and you just got to do what you were doing. And we live in this world now that is so disconnected and we feel so alone in our struggles, you know, afraid to ask for help and, and people don't want to ask you what you need and you're afraid to ask and it just sets us up. But having like the village concept is just so freaking beautiful. And I think we need so much more of that, right? Like, but it takes, Agreed. like you said, it takes so much courage to say, I need help. Right. And, and I think especially yeah, so did. for women, right? Yeah. Like we're so used to being there for everybody else. And when it becomes our turn, like we're just not comfortable in that space. So kudos to you, Karen, for being able to put on that, you know, that superpower Shiro costume and then, you know, find the courage to do that. Because I think that in itself is so ridiculously inspiring. Mm, so ridiculous. It was, and it was only because I had amazing support already, honestly. And I think one of the things that the three of us have talked a lot about is when I first got the cancer diagnosis, and Jennifer, this this loops a bit back to your earlier question. But when I first got the cancer diagnosis, my immediate reaction was, I will tell no one, I will do it on my own. Right. I can take care of this myself, you know, single lady, no kids, entrepreneur, independent to a fault. And so that initial response, super on brand for me. And I'm like, I'm just going to slink, you know, back to Montreal. I split my time between Quebec and Ontario. I'll slink back to Montreal. I'll get it, find a specialist there and we'll just take care of business. And if it gets worse than it seems like it might be, then I'll start inviting people in. That was, you know, through tears and driving after the initial appointment. And I'm like, okay, well, that's obviously ridiculous. Like, I'm going to need help, a lot of help. And so I shared it with my family. And even though in sharing it with my family and then, you know, my closer, my close friend group, I was really clear. And I wasn't even conscious of this, but Sarah has mirrored this back to me in a re in really powerful, helpful way. I was really clear on how I wanted people to show up in the experience with me. Mm -hmm. So I said to my family, I don't want my whole life and our whole lives to be about my cancer. 
I will provide you weekly updates by WhatsApp, by email if longer is required. And that's my commitment to you. So I don't need you to ask me how I'm feeling. What do I know now? Like you will get an update once a week. I don't want any cancer sad face. We're all going to have feelings about this. I have very big feelings about this. I know you're going to have feelings about this. And my request is if you have big feelings, please have them with each other because I can't hold mine and yours together. Mm -hmm. So no cancer, sad face. And I was really clear about that with my friends also. And like, even as you know, the news rippled out, that boundary, I was really clear on like, this is how I need to be in this experience. And if I, you know, in the closer inner circle, it's like, if I need to be weepy and sad, and like, full of despair, I'll let you know, and I'll show up in this way. It's not about me putting on a strong face when that's not how I'm feeling or what the experience is in in that moment. But that setting that tone from the beginning made such a huge difference. And I didn't even think like intentionally about it. I'm just like, this is how I need to be really clear on what's going to feel okay for me. Right. And I think my message is that it doesn't have to be the same boundary for everybody going through cancer or a difficult diagnosis, chronic or otherwise. But whatever you need from your people, if you can be so clear about that from the beginning and continuing to communicate that through the experience, they will be grateful, you will be better supported, and everyone feels better as we go through with the experience. Because, you know, people say you're in it together, and that's not wrong. And the truth of it is, only you are walking into the doctor's appointment, only you are on the OR table, only you. So there is some solitude and aloneness in the experience just by necessity. I'm the only one with cancer. But because you do, if you are gifted with any kind of support around you, being really clear about what you need that to look and feel like is a gift for you and the people around you, in my experience. And I think Marsha and Sarah would, would say that was true. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I could just add to that from what I perceived about it was that Karen got what she needed because she was able to articulate what she needed. But also when she said other people will be grateful, I mean, it's a gift to tell people how they need to show up for you, like to take the guessing out of that. And that, oh, maybe I'll say something wrong, or maybe I'm going to have a face and I don't want to have a face. And it's like, okay, no, like she's made it so easy. And I think the cancer shower was just an extension of that clarity. Like this is how you can help me. And won't it feel so good? Yes. It'll feel so good to be part of this innovative, fun, interesting thing. So if the whole thing was really interesting to be a part of, because it was, I could see how it was impacting Karen as a person in the center of the crisis. And I could see how other people were being impacted by the way Karen was moving through it as the supporting rings around her, you know, like mm. from really close in and then further out and further out. It's very interesting. And one oh, thing I want to add to build on that is something that we've really noticed is the way that it was this big kind of win for everyone. Like Sarah and I had a lot of conversations on the side it was so much work. It was so much work. And we should also mention Lily from Lily.design who did um, so much tech help. Oh my gosh. And even as a person, you know, I'm a person who's had to have a lot of therapy around boundaries and, and has a big habit of saying yes to taking on things and then resenting them. I never resented it for a second. I always just felt honored to be part of it. And Sarah and I talked about like having this experience where we got to kind of be you know, in the center and, and getting to know Sarah was such an absolute gift as well. And um, 
and so we had that experience where we're doing all this stuff you know, like and we we were getting so much from it and then seeing the way that people were giving you know when I shared it with my audience I had people leaving comments saying Karen I you know I've never met you I've never heard of you before but but I'm so glad to hear about this and what a wonderful way of looking at it and you've really helped me just by doing this and mm-hmm. and then you know not only are they getting to get a workshop out of it, but also getting to know that they're part of this bigger thing. This, this movement was really powerful. I think for everybody, everybody won. Yeah. That's amazing. That's so amazing. So, you know, I want to get into this question a little bit and, and feel free to share as much or as little as you are all comfortable with, but you know, we're all entering by virtue of the fact that we are midlife women entering this new chapter of our lives. We're everything is changing, like physically, mentally, emotionally, we are just like navigating uncharted waters. How has this whole experience as the givers and the receivers impacted maybe how you think about that midlife journey? And I'll start with you, Karen. Oh, wow. So I have have two answers. The immediate answer is, let's do this again in a year, because I feel like I'll know more. (laughs) I'll I'll be better able to answer because I do feel quite in it. But I think a few things come up for me. One is we need each other to walk through it. We really, mm-hmm. really do. And so I'm I'm heartened to see more conversations about the midlife experience for women uh, taking place in different you know channels and environments and platforms. That's really encouraging. I think we need so we need each other through it in intimate circles. I think we need to we need people to model the truth of it mm-hmm. more and more and. You know, again, my initial impulse was like, tell no one, skulk away, take care of business, and then reemerge. And which was, again, really a ridiculous notion. But I think I could have just done it quietly with, you know, my family and small group of friends around me. But it felt really important to me to, if I wasn't going to skulk away, to talk about it publicly and to take the stigma. I thought initially it was just take the stigma out of cancer, you know, be one more person doing that take the stigma out of talking really openly about women's health and vaginas and endometrial and what that is. And, you know, like I kind of was, had an education zealot running through my veins. And in the week or so after I got the diagnosis, I'm like, this is an opportunity. Like if I can, as I'm learning, share that learning, that feels like it's of service. And it was also a really helpful way for me to process the experience so yeah, we need each other in small, you know, settings and I think large groups and and making our voices heard and being taken seriously and have our experiences honored and validated and recognized as real feels so important. So I think, you know, and this cancer shower idea, it has legs. Like it it's bigger yeah. than it feels bigger than me. And so, you know, I think maybe 2 weeks into this, I think I said I've registered cancershower.org and all kinds of other versions of that because I want us to, and I won't include Sarah and Marsh because they might be like, we're done sister. Bye-bye. But I have the gift of this incredible network globally. Right. And so is there an opportunity for cancershower.org to provide scripts and Mm -hmm. toolboxes and even support like through other, like not everybody has the group of friends that I have who do what they do online but I know those people would be willing to donate a certain amount of hours doing workshops every year in the service and support of other people going through cancer who could need, who could benefit from some financial support. So 
again, it comes back to like community. We need to walk each other through it. We just, we have to. Yeah. You know, what I love most about what you just said is the fact that like midlife women freaking rock, first of all. And I want to (laughs) say, it's true because, you know, taking an experience and figuring out how to take that and, you know, impact more people. So our experience is not just ours. And I see this like in the stories that I tell on this podcast, women taking this valuable knowledge and wisdom experience that they've, you know, had through life and then flipping it, it's on its end to better the rest of the world. I'm like, Mm -hmm. honestly, I get goosebumps when I'm talking about it. And you just Mm -hmm. described that so beautifully, you know, taking that pain, taking that struggle and just going, okay, how can I now make this something bigger? Like there's other people like me, right? And And far less advantaged than I am who need the help. You know, I don't think it's, there's not, it's not like who deserves help Olympics, but I'm like, who have other things to contend with that were not things I had to contend with. So how do I use the platform I've got, the privilege, the community, the network, the skills too, right? Like this incredible group of people with all these amazing skills, how do we unleash it? And, you know, at the very beginning, I was, you know, I'm a naturally optimistic person, but I really bristled at the Pollyanna of like, there's a gift in all seasons and (laughs) what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and like all that BS. And by the way, anyone listening, don't say that to people who are going through (laughs) cancer treatment or any kind of health stuff. It's not helpful. (laughs) However, there is truth in it, which is why people are, you know, compelled to say it. So (laughs) there is is truth in it. So I think for me, you know, there were so many gifts in this season. Obviously, this incredible experience with Marsha and Sarah and Michelle and Tamar and Jackie and Tinka, who did the workshops, all the people that donated and got involved in the cancer shower, you know, clarity that's arisen for me around what's next and how I want to spend at least the next decade of my life. I think having, you know, tangling with cancer, any kind of serious health issue, yeah, it just forces reflection. And you've got yeah. so much like post-op time to reflect and you're super tired. So yeah, it, lots of journaling. But I think also part of the what's next for me is how does someone coming along behind me who gets a diagnosis, whether it's endometrial cancer or any other kind, how can it be made easier, not only easier, but how can they be more supported? But I dare say, how could the experience maybe have a flicker of joy, maybe some fun in it? Because, you know, it's hard, but Cancer Shower, it was fun. Like it was fun to come together and do enriching things together. So I love doing that anyway, like even before cancer, running things like Curiosity Summer Camp and other stuff. But there's room for fun and joy and things that enrich and uplift us even during hard times. And I would love to breathe some of that into cancer experience. (laughs) Yeah. So beautiful. So Sarah, how has being part of this journey impacted you? Well, I think in quite a profound way, actually, because as you know, I mainly work with midlife women and I've been viewing these years after 40 as powerful years. That's never been in question, but I think What's becoming clear to me now is as we get older, there are certain qualities and strengths and skills that we will need more and more and more. And if we don't start really developing those now, Mm. it's going to be much harder to navigate and be resilient to the changes that come our way as we get older. And so 
for example, the workshop I did for the cancer shower was a, a spidey sense shower inspired yeah. by Karen's sense. Her right. She often says, my spidey sense is telling me, and here she started this conversation by saying it was really a strong yes. sense that something was wrong. And so it, I really believe that being able to hear our own senses, to listen to our bodies, to hear our intuition, not that they're right exactly about the specifics, but, you know, to tune out all of the things that people have told us and be able to hear ourselves and center ourselves feels like a life skill that will take us right to the end, whenever that end is. So, yes. you know, that was the first thing. The second thing is, and I, don't, I hate to use this word because I know it sounds a bit, it's a bit loaded, but the, you can be creative for your community, for your friends, for your loved ones, for yourself. And the more that life presents to you, the more important that is. Mm -hmm. So that ability to be like, how can I think about this creatively? Like the fact that Karen went away and went like, let's do a superpower cancer shot. Like that kind of creativity is just so important. Again, as yeah. we get older, as we maybe have more things that we have to deal with. And then the, of course the community part I've always known is an important part of midlife. And I've always known all of this, but I think what it's doing for me is getting me to really reflect on my own intuition, creativity. What is it to be creative Creative for me if it's not doing crafts? Like, you know, Karen is an artist right. and Marsha's a storyteller. And, you know, so it's like, what, how is Sarah creative? And how can I help people who don't necessarily see themselves that way flex that muscle a bit so that they can have more resilience? So I think that's, I think, really a big impact from being part of this. I love that you touched on creativity and, you know, Karen, I mean, you, you've embodied that through this journey. And because I think, you know, and I was this way, like, I'm not creative. I used to say this all the mm -hmm. time. I'm not creative. Well, the reality <laughs> right. is that we are all creative and it's about honing right. and nurturing that. And like, talk about a life skill. Like, yeah. how beautiful is that? Right. It's so I love so that you just, just touched on that as being like a yeah. necessary life skill. Because I talk about that one a lot. <laughs> Yeah. And also just say like that, the, what Karen was talking about earlier about accepting help, that's a muscle. <laughs> like we have yeah. to go to the, the life gym and practice that muscle of accepting yeah. help, but also um, giving help in a way that feels good to the other person and to us. So, you know, Marcia said, I had to do therapy. I meet like me too. My boundaries were non-existent um, <laughs> up until my forties. <laughs> so it's like, how can we show sure. up? in a way that feels good to us and the other person. How can we accept help? These are things that are not going to get smaller. Right. Right. I think right. just before we move to Marsha, one of the things, and I've been having this conversation with my mom, who is a Olympic level giver and supporter, and just had a very funny experience with one of her sisters where neither one of them could receive. They both had to like pay for lunch. And it was this ridiculous vaudevillian situation and i said to mom i'm like if there's any there are many gifts and lessons in the cancer times in this experience but one of the biggies is there is so much grace in receiving mm. yes so much grace in receiving and there is so much grace in giving like i love to give and support and rally and you know make people feel great when they're going through hard times when we're all going through hard times like covid but Holy smokes, as someone who just resisted receiving, 
like it was my job at the beginning of this. <laughs> there is so much grace in receiving and it's incredibly beautiful when you yeah. can let go of the shame and all the stuff that we, I think, are conditioned to feel about receiving. It's beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. I think that's something that I found so incredible being part of this is like getting this front row seat to watching Karen have that experience because I also you know I think as so many of us there's sort of the Venn diagram of people who like to be helpful and people who aren't good at receiving help and it's more of just like a circle really and knowing that Karen is the person who had that resistance and watching her be like oh we should do this we should do this and us all saying just receive and then watching her receive and actually not crumble but be stronger for it Mm -hmm. and I think you know for me that's one of the big things of this experience in the same way, when you talked about, you know, women going into midlife, of, um, somebody I follow online, Damien Owens, tweeted recently, how pleasant is the gentle downward sweep of Fs given plotted against age? And I feel like in the same way, it's like part of that is also as you get older, because you give fewer Fs, finding it easier to ask for help, realizing, you know, yeah. just the experience of like, oh, the more I experience this, the more I realize the sky does not cave in. And also having this front row seat with Karen of being like, but I want to help her and I don't resent helping her. And to just be like, note to self, Marsha, you know, you are very happy to help. It feels good to do this. You are grateful to have the opportunity to be able to help. You know, it wasn't just that I that I was able to suffer it, that I could put up with it. It was that I was grateful to have the opportunity. And so that was really, really powerful for me. Oh, oh my goodness. This, I just want to say an amazing thank you to all of you for just this beautiful conversation and this beautiful gift that you have all given each other and are modeling for us who are watching this. Because I think, you know, we just touched on so many important lessons that could literally be a podcast episode in and of themselves. (laughs) And, you know, so thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you for sharing this journey with me and with our listeners. Thank you, Jennifer. Um, it's, it's such a privilege. I've loved every. I've loved every second of it. So, to those of you listening, I will make sure that all of these amazing women are linked in the show notes. You have to know them. You have to meet them, even if it's just virtually, and find out more about this the superpower cancer shower idea because it's freaking genius. So. I hope you're all walking away with something, some nugget that is going to impact how you think about your own life and maybe support another person who might be struggling in your life, whether cancer or not. So until next time. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.